0: Welcome to the Founding Mothers Podcast, where we're imagining new ways of living with one another and our planet. I'm your host, Emily Race. Today we'll be in conversation with Grace Anderson. Grace, she her, is a network weaver, strategist, and dreamer, working at the intersection of race, healing, and the environment. She's committed to building the capacity of people of color in the environmental space by moving resources towards their dreams and by creating structural programming to support their growth.
1: I think sometimes dreaming gets passed off as like something that has to be like that is aloof and like abstract and like it's like an escape from reality. Um, And I always think about dreaming as like my feet are like firmly planted on the ground um, and I am taking into account like the reality that we live in, but also allowing myself space, taking space to like think of what else could exist.
0: With over a decade of experience in the outdoor and environmental sector, Grace has worked in several different capacities to uplift and center Black, Indigenous, and people of color. At People of the Global Majority in the Outdoors, Nature, and Environment (PGM1). Grace co-directed the largest gathering of Black, Indigenous, and people of color who work in connection with the land. Her time in this role significantly deepened her commitment to building and sustaining the network's dreams and joy of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Oh, I'm so excited, Grace, to have you here with me today and to dream together a little bit. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be in conversation with you too can you start by
0: sharing who you are in this moment who you are in the world and and what you're doing at this point in your life
1: yeah i love how you ask in this moment it feels like it changed not too often not the core things but things do change right now i am a black woman always a black queer woman living in oakland california on unceded ohlone territory 32, soon to be 33. I am a big dreamer right now really in love with food and connecting with people around food, especially black folks and food. I'm in love with bicycles and books and expanding my perspective. I'm really excited about like strategic planning and visioning with organizations and people and like strategic dreaming, still working on the language around that, but really excited to be in conversation and in community with people who want to take time and space to try something different because what we've been doing largely is not working. So those are some of the identities and thoughts. Set her up for me today.
0: Beautiful. I echo that strategic dreaming. I love that. I would love to spend time with you there today. Before we jump into the dreaming piece, is there anything around your story of how you arrived to where you are in this moment that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, without going as a rigid bio, I think the most important things to share about where I am is the family structure I grew up in. I'm one of five, second youngest of five kids, grew up with my two parents, so a household of seven. And I think something that was ingrained in me pretty young and I carry with me in my work now, it's just the need to take care of each other, both those who we are related to by blood and then those who we choose to have in our lives and understanding that we need to share resources. A family of seven growing up with limited resources, we are always sharing and figuring it out and reconfiguring and looking for resources outside of financial ones. And so I've been holding that with me for a long time, but recently I've put name to it. So I feel like that's really a part of who I am and where I am today.
0: Beautiful. This thread of a theme, I guess you could say, around care is one that shows up often in this podcast. So I just love how you began with the family and painting this picture for us around what it feels like Maybe it was a full house. I'm not sure I'm imagining five kids. (laughs)
1: Definitely a full house. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Amazing. When we connected prior to this podcast, one thing that you share with me is how much you do enjoy being in this dreaming space. Like you said at the start, we live in a time where dreaming almost feels necessary for survival. So I would love to spend as much time as possible there with you now. I would love to start very broadly. What is your dream for the world?
1: Yeah, small question to start with. Well, I first want to say I think sometimes dreaming gets passed off as something that is aloof and abstract and like like an escape from reality. And I always think about dreaming as my feet are like firmly planted on the ground and I am taking into account the reality that we live in, but also allowing myself space. So think of what else could exist and so I want to root myself in that because sometimes I do it to myself dreaming like why are you spending time on this and it's necessary and I'm doing it from a place of survival and a desire to live in a better world but definitely from a place of deeply rooted in reality I think being so deeply rooted in reality forces me to dream more because I'm like, oh, this is not it. Watching the world around us burn and resources continue to be hoarded. It's like, this can't be. So I want to start with that. And so I think the world that I'm dreaming of and want to be in is one that folks have basic needs met. It's a world where people are housed. People are able to live without worry. It's a world where food is abundant and shared and easily accessible and nourishing. It's a world where folks have access to spaces in the natural world and can grow food, can recreate on the land, can understand their relationship to it. It's a world of a lot of sounds, a lot of different languages being spoken and celebrated. It's a lot of smells of different foods being cooked and a lot of deep commitment to community and care. It's a world where care is centered and mutualism and understanding that we need each other to survive is at the center of how we operate. And it's an embodied world. that We wouldn't be where we are today if everyone was actually in their bodies. Two of the most pervasive parts of white supremacy and capitalism is disembodiment. I don't think people could act and be in ways that are exploitative and malicious if they were actually in their bodies and really connected to who they are and connected to the earth. I don't think those two things could coexist. And so it's also a world where folks are able to truly tap into who they are and have a deep sense of belonging. There's many things. I'll stop there because you could... Go on and on. Well, we can go on and on. And thanks for pausing, just so we can really soak in
0: everything you just shared, because there's a lot of juicy, for lack of a better word, details around what's possible. And you began with what feels like such a basic, fundamental thing around everyone having their needs met. And when I hear that, personally, my body's like, oh, why it cringes, it contracts. It's like, why is that a dream and why is that not the reality? So I don't know if there's anything you wanted to expand on that, and maybe even what your perspective is around
1: why we're not there today. Yeah, I think back to what I was saying about disembodiment. I think we have lifted up the resource hoarding and power as such a marker of success in this world that people's needs aren't being met because people are busy trying to like get the most so take take take. I think a lot about philanthropy, for example. A lot of foundations exist and a lot of philanthropists exist. And yes, they're giving away a very small portion of their wealth. But what if they didn't acquire that much? What if we Mm -hmm. operate in a way that it wasn't the case that a select few have the most and and redistribute it, but instead that they just take less and exploit less so that everyone has needs met. So I think we're there because, yeah, markers of success look like how much can you get and how much can you hoard and how much can you make? And I think if that weren't the case, we would be thinking about more evenly distributing resources and not just financial resources, but land. The forced removal of Indigenous folks from their land and the forced labor of Black folks On the land, like those ideas are, I'm getting a little, I got a little tangled in my thought there, but uh, let me come back to that.
0: What I was hearing is a huge focus on this idea of the success marker being taking as much as you can, or at least through a lens of white supremacy or colonization. Like I would like to challenge maybe that that's not what's true for everybody, or that's not a mode of operating for everyone on this earth, right? Because I'm assuming indigenous practices are not about hoarding as much as you can. (laughs) And there's something around that to maybe look towards or listen to as we start imagining a different way of relating.
1: Yeah, I think definitely there are people and practices that have existed long before the United States and white supremacy But I think the dominant narrative and those holding power heavily influence, disproportionately influence those practices. And if you think about forced removal, the fact that that can happen is just a sign of who has the most power in this country and in this world. I'm talking generalizations, but I'm also talking in this way because, yeah, who holds power and resources in this world? If we're thinking about financial capital And lands, it's been significantly hoarded by white folks. And I would love to dive into examples of where that isn't happening and uplift those. Also, be really clear and honest about what is currently.
0: I'm just hearing back what you said at the start, right? As we dream to be rooted in this reality and both as an embodied practice with our feet on the earth, our bodies yeah. connected into our bodies, but also present to what is and not trying to sugarcoat it or glass pass it. <laughs> Thank you for all of that. You said something interesting. I do want to pull that thread a bit more around. If we are living in a dominant narrative that to succeed is to have as much, acquire as much as possible, hold on to it and hoard it, then what is... An alternative vision. You started to say a bit about it, right? We would perhaps not get to a place of accumulating so much to begin with. But do you want to share anything else around that piece of the vision?
1: Yeah, it would also look like needs being met and those needs being housing, access to clean air, access to clean water, food. We would live in a world where you didn't have to work to survive and to live on this planet. to a living wage, like an actual living wage, not like a poverty wage, but wages that allowed you to take care of yourself, to take time off. I think work being at the center of our culture... Is by design. Spending 40 plus hours a week working limits how much time people have to think about a different reality. People are just overworked and exhausted. And it'd be cool to think about what else could exist. But when you're having to figure out childcare, without having to figure out how to keep a roof over your head. What I see for the future also just leaves space for people to exist in the world. I know of people and have seen so many examples of people working tirelessly their whole lives, never going to that place or taking that vacation or having time to garden or having time to spend with their children. So new reality leaves a lot of space for people just to be and to experience and to be in their own lives and not dedicate their lives to work and work that has been created by someone else to like manufacture or create things. In a future world, folks are also working in joyous ways. People are really able to spend time making art or whatever other forms of art or expression that they think will influence the world or bring about change and not even bring about change. Things are just joyous and fun and Mm -hmm. inspire people to make a goal, removing the emphasis on production and creation. Would also exist in that future world.
0: Ugh, yes, this whole point around how we've centered work, and then what you're sharing just now—it's like you're right. The design of this has had us almost not have any extra bandwidth to dream, to be in the pleasurable state, <laughs> unless we've been able to be privileged enough or set things up in such a way where we are working in alignment with our values and in a way that does fill up our own cups. Have you always had a relationship with your work in which you found that balance and that ability to take breaks and pauses? And if not, how have you gotten to a place of being able to
1: do that? Yeah, good question. It's hard to answer that and because I've always worked in ways that I thought were common, but now as I get a little older and more perspective, I realize they aren't. I started my career as a park ranger and doing seasonal work and working in outdoor education. So I'd work for three months, get money from whatever trips I led, go on another trip to spend it all and then come back and do it again. And so for most of my twenties, it felt like perpetual summertime. Okay, we work, we do these trips and then we come back and work again. And so I've always had a bit of an uncommon flexible schedule in that way. And then after I was in outdoor ed for about six or seven years, I started working in organizations. I had full-time roles within various conservation and environmental organizations. And so for a short bit of time, I had more of a rigid schedule, more of a nine-to-five, but that didn't last very long based on who I am. And now I'm consulting full-time, so I have a lot of space to design my schedule in a way that I want to, and I feel like I'm still learning, even though I know I have full control over how I schedule my work. I'm still like, oh, it should be like this because this is when everyone else is working or this is how people think I should be working. But I'm slowly starting to reject that. For example, I make Mondays only for Black folks. A lot of folks reach out to me looking for connections or support or want to introduce me to other Black folks who are working in the outdoor environmental space. And historically, in the roles that I've had, I've always been inundated with requests and pressure to meet with white organizations and white folks to explain various things. And so one way that I'm countering that is, yeah, I only talk to black folks on Mondays. And if anyone wants to just dream about things, I have the whole day free for it. And that's been huge for me. It's been so big to start my week off in that way. And it's one way And I'm starting to design the type of schedule I want and need in order to be creative and thoughtful and then i think another part of where i am today is because i love spending time outside love being outside love backpacking and climbing i love bikes and i just stopped doing it so for the most part i'm going to start taking fridays off just to give myself extra day to do trips this friday Be leaving to do a backpacking trip last Friday. I went on a 60 old bike ride with a friend that I've been wanting to do. I'm now in a place where I have autonomy over my schedule. I can figure out different flexes in order to live the life that I want to and design my life around work and not the other way. My life is the center of work has to fit into it and not the other way around. And as I'm doing that, I'm like, oh, all people should have access to these things. Being able to schedule And work in a way that you can live your life. And that could be like times changing your hours so that you can pick up your children or go on a walk before work or go on a bike ride. The things that I have access to now, I'm trying to be very open about because I think sometimes in order to dream about things, you might need some points of references or like some glimmers of spots in the universe to look towards. Oh, it is possible. This person is doing it. And these are some ways I can incorporate it into my work. Does
0: that answer your question? It totally does. And you also just underlined why I asked that question. So I really appreciate you lifting the curtain behind what your cadence looks like and also the evolution of that. Because I think in, in my own life, I've seen this same question come up around as over the years, I've started to reprioritize time in nature or time for creativity over only being on the computer producing something for someone else I find like okay that took some time to get to that place and I also question what allowed me to get to that place and then I think about people who are in different situations that whether they are employed by a company and they don't have that autonomy over their schedule like you just said from that strategic lens how might we get to this place of having this be more of a widely normalized way of operating (laughs) existing
1: yeah it's tricky because We still live under this rigid and oppressive capitalist society, and that will dictate how majority of people have to work. I think about things like even healthcare being largely attached to having a full-time job and working in certain ways. So I feel like some of those big pieces need to be upended. But interim strategies around that is like blocking time out on your calendar and not necessarily having an explanation for it, which is like, okay, one. Wednesdays I was working at this organization where we had seven meetings a day and I'm like when am I supposed to think about anything that was said or synthesize any of the information so I started to block time on my calendar and wouldn't move it I think being really clear this is the time that I like, need to process we're not given enough time to process in the typical work fashion meetings 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 information dump and information dump so I think things like that identifying ways to connect with yourself during the workday. I was telling you right before this, I was outside and I meant to go on a walk today, but the way that <laughs> I woke up just didn't allow for that. And so taking that time to just be outside and get some sun on my face and do some writing outside is another strategy. And I think changing up where we work as much as possible. I actually started this podcast, I was sitting at the table, but now I'm laying on the floor. and. So that's the way that I move around and find different ways of working. I've been trying recently to write less on the computer and do it in a notebook, which adds another step of getting it typed up. But it allows me a bit more breathing room around work. And yeah, those are some ways that I'm thinking of strategically to shift around how I work and some accessible to some people's strategies to do it for themselves and their own workplace.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm really feeling in everything you just shared. Just start with where you are. You know best what are the potential options available to you. And even if that looks like just blocking off that time or rearranging a thing here or there. And then I'm also thinking of, as you were sharing all of this, of the folks who actually do, they're gatekeepers or they have more access to dictate in a way the cadence for their team or their organizations and so if any of you are listening to this maybe there's another way that you can actually create that space for others so that they maybe feel like they have a bit more permission to also block off their time because at the end of the day power dynamics are real (laughs) Totally, you know so we want to acknowledge that piece Totally. And I would also like to call
1: out the difference in surveillance from hourly workers, retail workers to salaried workers. I'm not naive that me being able to block out time is something that I have access to as someone who's previously salaried and making a good bit of money. And that isn't usually afforded to folks who are working hourly, lower wage roles. Yeah. I just want to call that out.
0: Yep. Thank you. Yeah. And that word surveillance, it's like chilling when you hear it, but it is, it's true. It's like, there is this level of surveillance, even if you have a salary job I found that when we share our calendars with one another, it's like, oh, you really can see into my life whether I want you to or not. Right. There's like pros and cons of all of that. But just to bring it back to the why, and it might be going back to something you already share, but just to really underline why is it important to take time and space to connect with nature, to connect with what brings us joy or is filling up our own cup, so to speak.
1: Yeah. It's because we it's all we've got at the end of the day. It may sound dark, but I again, trying to come from a place of reality. At the end of the day, most people aren't going to remember these like mundane tasks that we're doing. Like, did I ever answer that email? Did I finish writing that strategy document? I think at the end of the day, we are living, breathing people who have needs. And I often feel like The work gets in the way of the living and just being and existing in this world and enjoying life. And so I think as much as possible, taking that in and finding opportunities to connect with the natural world or with the things you love is actually what makes us most creative and thoughtful and expansive. Every time I go outside or spend time outside, for me, that's just a processing thing. And I don't think everyone needs to spend time outside. If that's not what you want to do, then don't do it. But for me, that has such a big processing space for me. And it's also where I feel most comfortable being alone, which is really important to me. And so I think the more time we spend connecting with ourselves and the things that we love, the more able we are to show up for our own selves and for our community and the work that we love. Because coming from a place of exhaustion or obligation or necessity isn't always the most liberatory and creative spaces. Really just getting into who you are and what you bring through connecting to those joyful places is how we really bring about deep, lasting change. Beautiful.
0: I want to bring it back to the embodiment piece of this vision and this dream, and the fact that you shifted to a reclined position as we have this interview just mm-hmm. is a <laughs> testament to what it could look like to really listen to your body and honor what their needs are. Can you share more around your vision for embodiment and even maybe talking listeners through how we could become embodied in this moment?
1: Yeah, for me, this is a recent discovery. After 11 or so years of being in really chronic pain, I finally had a doctor who listened to me and I was like, yeah, I've been telling y'all for years. I've had an issue and no one was listening to me. And I finally found a doctor earlier this year who listened to me and I had a surgery that completely changed my life. I'm not in chronic pain anymore. And I knew I was listening to my body this whole time and it was telling me that something was wrong. And I finally for this instance needed outside help, but it had me thinking a lot about what would be possible if I slowed down enough in order just to feel what would I have a chance to observe. I'm thinking about the times that I've been still enough outside to see a hummingbird. Or last week on my bike ride, we were biking through this nature preserve and we saw this falcon really close, like 10 feet away from us. And we just stood there and observed it and I think about the things that I'm able to observe when I slow down, and that surgery has me thinking of it a lot now. I think there's just so much to take in that blocking out time just to process and be that could be like five minutes. It can be 10 minutes. It doesn't have to look like meditation. It could be writing. It could be laying on the floor like a starfish, which I do pretty often with your eyes closed. Just like an opportunity to synthesize and take it in and to notice what's coming up in your body, any aches, any pains, any spots of joy. I was working with a career coach last year and Something that she had me do was just like, oh, every time you do a work task that you like, or makes you excited or that you get through really fast because you're so excited to do it. Make a note of that. And I started to do that in other aspects of my life. I'm like, OK, when I do this with my friends or if I do this by myself, it makes me so happy and just taking the time to observe that and to mark so that I remember. I say all of that to say processing time is so important. I've like created a new rule for myself of not making decisions during a call. I love to say yes a lot, but even if I know it's a yes, I'm like, oh, I will get back to you. Just give me some time because it takes me a while to process information and I love to double book myself or lowball myself in terms of compensation. So I'm like, oh, if I just take a beat, it's not going to hurt anything. So I think really, really finding time and strategies to give yourself a bit of time to process and just feel into your own body is really important.
0: There's definitely a quote out there around moving at the speed of nature or something. Yeah. And then there's another quote around moving, moving at the speed of trust. I'm just thinking about pace at the moment as you share all of this. So thank you again for the tangible examples and I'm now wanting to bring it back to that bigger vision because I'm trying to imagine, wow, what would this world look like if we were all more deeply in relationship with our bodies and our processing spaces? What do you see that looking like in terms of our relationships with one another, the environment?
1: Yeah, I think it would be so much more intentional and thoughtful and less competitive During the racial uprisings in 2020, I felt the pull to go out and be in the streets and be at the protest, but I am socially anxious. I go to bed at nine o'clock. And so I was getting so anxious about even before being out just anxious about going out because i was like oh this isn't how i want to be in this movement i think specifically as a black person giving myself a lot of choice around that and for other black folks giving yourself a lot of choices about how you want to show up and i think taking time to slow down also gives you an opportunity to identify what you're really good at i don't like being in the front of the room i don't like speaking in front of people i don't like large crowds <laughs> and so i think 2020 was the first time i was like oh what am i good at what do i really like i love some paperwork. And not a lot of people like filling out paperwork. And I got really clear on that. And I love building things, but I don't need to lead them. And I love strategy, but I don't need to lead it. And so I think if we were all able to spend time getting clear and slowing down, we could be more clear in who we are and how we want to show up in the world and not necessarily take on roles that have been assigned to us or like what people project onto us. The Building Movement Project has this really beautiful web of the different roles that people play in movements. And I think if we took some time to really tap into this is what we're good at, what we're interested in, we could be working more aligned and less competitively. And our movements would be so much more robust because we have folks working at several different angles to solve issues and to provide care. It would be more powerful and expansive if we had time to, had time slash gave ourselves time to really feel into what's up for us
0: yeah and i would add to that from my own experience too that it would probably be more sustainable because especially that yeah right because like in these justice spaces too there's a lot of burnout that can happen right
1: a lot of burnout that's a really good point it is more sustainable i think i've been seeing more folks moving toward co-director models or even three co-director models specifically in the nonprofit sector that expectation that you wear a bunch of hats and you do a bunch of things and it's like why don't we just focus on what people are good at and then act accordingly you're absolutely right though it is more sustainable Mm,
0: beautiful yes okay so you touched on this i'm like connecting a dot here but you were just sharing about giving yourself space and freedom around how you wanted to show up back in 2020 around those racial uprisings and the protests and from a more broad level dreaming space you talk about in your bio how you work at the intersections of race healing and the environment so i'm curious what your dreams are for black indigenous people of color communities
1: yeah i will say at this point in time my dreams are of land for specifically Black and Indigenous people, for Indigenous folks, a return of land that was, has been stolen, which is all of it. <laughs> so that's a vision right now. And for Black folks, a space to call our own and a space where we can retreat to and feel safe, that is operated by Black people and for Black people, where Black people are prioritized and celebrated. And I have dreams, and we'll make this into a reality where money and resources are moved towards Black and Indigenous people unapologetically and abundantly. I know we aren't given the same opportunities to try, maybe fail, often succeed with resources. So I'm dreaming and demanding and asking folks with resources to move them and move them abundantly as without expectation, without deliverables. I think often White folks are given opportunities to try and experiment and thinking about all the money that goes into some of these startup ideas. What Um, do we actually need that? And thinking if the same resources were allocated towards Black and Indigenous people working in environmental spaces to bring about change that actually is saving lives and saving our earth, it would be so powerful. So yeah, dreaming of land and resource redistribution that land unapologetically to Black and Indigenous people
0: it loops back to that idea of hoarding resources one of the potential responses in the white psychology to that dream is well what about me what if there's not enough like this scarcity or holding on grasping on you don't have to respond to that but i'm curious if you do have a response to that fear more or less
1: yeah yeah i don't think i will respond yeah there's so many thoughts on that
0: yeah thank you of course of course so The other piece of your work, you're touching on it in some aspects around giving land back and connecting with nature and the earth. And so I'm curious what your dreams are for the environment.
1: Yeah, very much related to giving land back and moving resources towards Black and Indigenous people to thrive. That will lead to... Returning is interesting because I think so much damage has been done that I don't think it's a return to balance, but a balance on the earth again, where we just like, Take what we need and we're in relationship with the land and not exploiting it. You mentioned several times I must be excited about it. I'm going backpacking this weekend and I was telling someone about it and they're like, are you worried about the fires, the flood, the drought? And I was like, oh my gosh, right? There are so many things impacting our earth right now. And yeah, I think it's also an environment that isn't scorched and thirsty and holding more than it can carry. Yeah, those are my two main dreams for it. That's just getting back into right relationship and stop exploiting it. And it's livable for everyone.
0: Where might we begin with that? Again, back to some strategy. Where might we begin with getting into right relationship?
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of things that we've talked about, like getting back into our bodies. I think it will result in us not having such an extractive view of the world and the earth, returning land to indigenous people who were always stewarding this land in a way that could hold us moving resources, a lot of the wealth built in this country was built on slave trade and on the land that was stolen. And so I think drastic wealth redistribution, not five percent of however much money has been made, but significant redistribution of land and wealth back to communities where it was stolen and extracted from. Yeah. And I, I really like stopping and listening and taking into account everything that's happening within our bodies and around us is starting point.
0: If I were to tune into my own body as with this vision around returning that land back to indigenous peoples, it feels like something settles in my body, like it can rest a little bit. This anxiety starts to dissipate. And I don't know, maybe that's just the experience of something returning home (laughs) to where it's meant to be. And I also think about, because we've been highlighting basically the role that money plays and capitalism plays in all of this and upholding certain systems that are not sustainable, that don't allow resources to be distributed. It's a big question. Maybe you don't have an answer for it, but I am wondering what you see as possible around money and economies in general. Is it capitalism itself that needs to be completely redone? Or how do you approach in this visioning space, the idea of economy and money systems?
1: Yeah, I don't have a well thought answer about what it is necessarily but I do know that the way we've been operating, where the land and people are exploited to create and produce, it's just not sustainable. So I think any system that eliminates that and promotes evenly distributing wealth and resources is one that I'm into.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like, sometimes there's areas that feels like we don't have the name for what the new thing would be. But I love yeah. how you're illustrating bits and pieces of what it could be. And one hope is that anyone listening to this could build on that in their own mind and their own dreaming space and, and also
1: connect dots with others who are dreaming similarly. Totally. And I think that's a big aspect of dreaming. Knowing what it is you want. I think we feel that as humans already. You don't have to be able to name it, but you can know what it looks like, feels like, tastes like. And I think that's enough. I've seen people really get caught up. And I do this myself. I get caught up of having to put a name to it, put a title to it, or a theory to it. But we can also just start from what we feel and know and see i'm starting from there and it might be very big and expansive to start with but we'll get there you really develop a practice around dreaming it'll start to narrow down but i don't want anyone to be deterred by not having a name for it yet write down what it feels like what it looks like what it smells like and you'll get closer
0: Mm, Embodied with all of our senses. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, you shared something with me when we had connected previously around the writing retreat space. And so I just wanted to connect back to something you shared around spaces for Black folks to just be. And so maybe that is or is not connected, but I'm just curious, do you have other examples to your point around what it feels like, sounds like, tastes like, other examples that you've experienced around some of these dreams you have for communities of color or, or any of the dreams you shared?
1: Yeah, perhaps I was sharing about a writing retreat I went to in Alaska that wasn't specific for folks of color, but it was predominantly people of color and it's called Story Knife. And it was just such an intentional space. It was two weeks of writing and folks, they were, we made our own breakfasts, and then lunch was brought to our door every day and dinner was made for us. And it was really just, oh, just come here and write. We will take care of everything else. And that's how I imagine spaces that I want to create feeling like you just have to be here. We'll feed you. We'll make sure you have what you need in order just to rest and dream and to write or whatever other creative practices you have. And it also is super culturally appropriate. We're making food that you love and the food that you know. You'll smell the foods that you grew up with as you're doing your creative practice or you'll see things that remind you that you belong and that you're welcomed here. The spaces that I imagine tap into all those senses and those senses communicate a sense of belonging. You can smell that you belong. You can taste that you belong. You can see that you belong. You can touch and feel that you belong here. They're intensely sensory spaces that communicate belonging. I've been wanting to do a lot more around design and food. I've been crafting my apartment. Especially, I moved into this apartment in the pandemic kid in the uprisings. And I was like, oh, I need to fortify myself when I leave the house. So, everywhere I look in the house, I'm seeing a black person or book or magazine. I know I feel so rooted in this space and strong in my Blackness, and I want to create more spaces like that for people. When you walk into this space, no one has to tell you you belong, but you'll know you belong based on how it's been designed and curated for you. So yeah, those are the spaces that I am seeking to create.
0: Mm, thank you so much for that offering and really illustrating what belonging can look like. I feel like it's sometimes this, oh, this idea of we want belonging. We want diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. And I think to just really paint that picture and it feels like it's so simple,
1: you know, yeah Yeah, but rich yeah and and i wouldn't say it's simple and i think it's important to point out who's creating the spaces a lot of organizations and people want to create spaces where folks of color feel welcomed and they're not people of color or they're like people of color creating for black folks i think it's really important just to move resources towards people who know it instead of always being the one to do it because that's when it's not it's not simple and it's very nuanced and it's deep knowledge and so i think more and more i'd like to see organizations like oh actually we can't do this because we don't know how and moving Resources behind someone who does know how to do it because it's so big. And when it's done poorly, it's obvious and it causes harm. So, yeah, it's a big one, though. I'm excited to do more around that and put them into practice. Well,
0: with that, I'd love to transition to hear any areas that you would like folks to collaborate with you or reach out, support the work that you're doing and the dreams that you have.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I'm really, really interested in design. And that looks like a few things. Like, I think it's event curation, but I also think it's physically designing spaces that celebrate and highlight Blackness and restfulness. I'm thinking about all the places I have to lounge in my apartment just to lay on the floor. So really interested in that, really interested in event curation for Black people. And I'm also really excited to collaborate on building residencies and fellowships and opportunities for really intentional Well thought out ways for folks to be engaged in particular spaces and thinking about the writing retreat that I was a part of, if folks have access to land or spaces where we could design retreats and fellowships for folks of color with the emphasis on black people. Super interested in collaborating on that. And then, yeah, always excited to collaborate with other Black folks and think about how we can push each other to dream bigger and think bigger and also to be with each other and feel joy. Yeah, I think those are the main things.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Well, I personally look forward to seeing some of these visions, these dreams come manifest through you, and also beyond you as an individual, how this inspires others to carry some of these dreams into their own lives. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off?
1: Yeah, just finding, I encourage everyone to find a practice that makes them feel more in their body, Mm. whether that's simple movements or running or writing or laying in bed just a little second longer and listening to your favorite song before you get out of bed and start your day. Really encourage folks to find ways to do that and to not be dismissive of themselves and others when we talk about dreaming, because I think it's often coming from a place of really knowing reality and wanting to do something different. Beautiful. Oh, I love that. I love how
0: accessible that feels. And I really appreciate you and the time that you've given all of us today in sharing a bit of yourself with us and the dreams that you sh- that you have and i feel a very vibrant world a very thriving world existing out of this these seeds rather so thank you again
1: thank you emily i really appreciate you inviting me and your questions and yeah connecting some dots and like asking really thoughtful questions to so, push me to like think bigger and deeper um It's been really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for
0: listening to this episode of the Founding Mothers Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Emily Race, and edited by Eric Weisberg. If you want to support the show, please leave us a rating or share this episode with the important people in your life. We'd also love to hear from you if you or someone you know would be a great guest to share about their vision for the world. You can email emily at founding-mothers.com or visit www.founding-mothers.com slash podcast.